Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Welcome, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, and I'm coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska, coming to you literally from my living room. And uh, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show, everybody. We're so excited that you're here. We're very excited that folks have been listening, watching, and reading this week, whether it be our website, uh, commenting in on our social media, listening to our Must Read Alaska show, experiencing our Must Read Alaska app on the Amazon Android store or the Apple store. Every little thing you do uh, with Must Read Alaska, we appreciate. Today, we have a very special guest. But before I go into that, I want to thank our show sponsor, who is which is Gungerstein for Senate. Um, we want to thank Gungerstein for Senate for sponsoring the Must Read Alaska show. Because of her sponsorship, we were able to spread news through all the nooks and crannies of Alaska. And we really appreciate it. it uh, somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. And she helps keeps the light, keep the lights on. We have a very awesome and special guest today. Uh, Kristen Faulkner, who is literally ranked top 15 in the world in women's cycling. It's a big deal. Not often do we get professional athletes that hail from Alaska, not, not alone just hail from Alaska, but are kind of dominating uh, their sport. And so we're very excited. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska show, Kristen. Thank you. It's so great to be on the show, and it's nice to chat with fellow Alaskans. Well, uh, professional cycling, there's probably not too many professional cycling folks in Alaska. Tell the folks that are listening, watching, or reading this how you first got involved in cycling, uh, hailing from Alaska. Yeah, well, actually, my, my parents taught me how to ride a bike um, outside my house when I was younger. It was a little gravel road in, in Homer, Alaska. Um, and then as a kid in the summertime, I just enjoyed riding my bike around town. It, for me, was a source of freedom in the summertime. Um, but then after that, I kind of left the bike for, for a long time. And um, yeah, I never raced or anything when I was a kid. Um, I did other sports. And then when I was 24 years old, I'd moved to New York City for a finance job after college. And I really missed the outdoors because Manhattan has a lot of buildings and it's not Alaska, let's just say that. Um, <clears throat> and so I was looking to spend more time in Central Park and just outdoors in the mornings. And so I went to an introductory, a free introductory women's clinic for cycling as a way to meet other outdoorsy people and athletic people in New York City. And at the clinic, um, they taught me how to clip into a bicycle. They taught me the rules of cycling and how to ride as a team. And so I really, I just went to that twice a week in the morning. And then I went to a local race and I just fell in love with it really quickly. And from there, I, I I worked hard. I got a coach. I did some more races, and then the rest is kind of history. It kind of all escalated from that. That's awesome. So for folks listening, just tuning in, uh, Kristen Faulkner is with us. She's ranked number fifteen in the world. Uh, she just finished the Tour de Suisse, headed off to uh, Tour de France, hopefully. And listen to this: she did really start uh, doing the professional uh, training of anything until she was like in her twenties, which is. I just think it's so awesome. There's many folks out there that are have been sitting or waiting on their their dreams, and they think, "Well, I didn't start when I was in high school. Or I didn't start this time." 
there's no better time to start than now. So good for you for starting. That's such a cool story. Um, what do you, what do you think, uh, uh, you know, growing up in Alaska, do you think it, there was advantages or disadvantages for somebody like yourself that is now a mm. professional athlete? Yeah, there's definitely both. I think, you know, from the, the disadvantages side, there's not a big road cycling scene in Alaska. Um, there's not really in the U.S. either, um, but definitely not in Alaska. I think there's way more advantages, though, beyond just that kind of practical disadvantage. Um, for starters, um, just I grew up doing a lot of sports outside. You know, um, I did a lot of after school sports. I was in swimming and and cycling and um sorry swimming and running and uh, I did some basketball and volleyball and basically every sport that the school offered and so I was really open to trying new sports because I did so many as a kid and so when I moved to New York City I was totally open to try cycling because I'd done so many sports as a kid it was just um it was something that felt natural to me was to, to do more sports um I think the biggest thing though was I think Alaskans have as a stereotype, this idea of they're okay doing things differently. They're okay kind of going against tradition or, or kind of being um, like taking control of their own destiny in a way, I think. Um, and, and there's not so much tradition uh, to confine us. And so I came into cycling as a bit of an outsider. I hadn't done any cycling races before. I was in my mid-20s and um, I was in a finance job. I didn't have the traditional route. And I didn't think twice about that. I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, I'll make my own way. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't have the mentality that lived within confines of tradition or what the sport traditionally had riders do, which is start from a really young age and, and cycle competitively from ages eight, 10, 12, especially in Europe, they start really young. So I think, yeah, there are the practical aspects of loving the outdoors and having a history of sports. Um, but more so what really helped me being from Alaska is just having a little bit of that outsider's mentality. Um, Alaska has a lot of like small business owners or people who are really self-sufficient in the outdoors. And it's just um, this idea that you're going to make your own way in the world. And I think I was definitely raised with those values. And um, I think a lot of Alaskans are too. Well, your mom and dad are pretty awesome. Uh, give them kudos <laughs> for doing that. Um, so after, after college, you know, you, I think, I believe you started working, eventually you worked at a venture capitalist firm. And I think most people would consider that is like, oh, I've arrived. I'm working at a venture capitalist firm. Maybe I'm in New York or San Francisco or wherever. And they would look at that as like they could ride that ticket of life, you know, for the next 30 <laughs> years. What what inside of you clicked to want to go follow your dreams? What what did that moment look like for you to essentially quit a dream job for most folks and then go follow your dreams from scratch? Yeah, there were a lot of things. Um, and to be honest, I liked my job a lot. Like everything about it seemed great. And it was great. Like I had a good salary. I really enjoyed my colleagues. I liked the work. It was comfortable. I had upward trajectory. Like there was no reason for me to leave. And I had worked really hard to get that job. And it was my dream job after college. And so um, it was a really hard decision. Um, but I think there were a few things. Um, the first is that Ever since I was a little kid, I always had the dream of going to the Olympics. I remember I was eight years old and I was watching the Olympics on TV. I think this was in 2000. And um, yeah, maybe I was seven years old. And I just looked at those athletes on the TV and I was like, I want to do that one day. And so my whole life, that's been one of my really big dreams. And so when I was in venture capital, one of my, you know, my, my role was to invest in entrepreneurs, um, which, you know, they're all starting really small businesses. They're often sacrificing everything to go start a company. 
and they're doing what they're really passionate about. And so I realized one day that I was helping other people go pursue their dreams, but I was sitting there and I wasn't actually doing this dream that I had as a kid. And so I had a conversation with my brother over dinner one time. This was in 2020, right after I joined my first pro team, but I was working and and cycling full time simultaneously. And I felt, I found it really hard to do both. And I felt like I had to pick one if I really wanted to be great. Like I could be good at both at the same time, but I would never be my best at either one. And I said to my brother, I said, you know, I think if I continue working, then I might have to give up on this dream of going to the Olympics. And he looked me right dead in the eye and he said, is going to the Olympics a goal or is it a dream? And I said, it's a dream. And he's like, then what the heck are you doing? (laughs) And I think that was a really pivotal moment for me because, um, yeah, he really held me accountable. And I, I know all along what I wanted to do, but I didn't have that super clear conviction that it was totally okay for me to get up and leave. And I think having someone who knows me really well and cares about me, just look me in the eye and, and like I was crazy, um, was, it was actually like, I think just enough validation that I needed to know that it was okay for me to go do that. So, um, I think that was a a really pivotal moment and I'm really grateful to, to have family who, yeah, who really, um, encouraged me to, to go pursue my dream. Well, it sounds like you have an epic family. I know firsthand that you do. So um, that's pretty awesome that your brother saw that uh, in you. And I'm sure that other family members saw it in you as well. So tell us a little bit about the Tour de Swiss just happened. And it's a pretty pretty big race. Um, You won one of those legs. I may be describing this incorrectly, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. You you won a leg of the race. Talk, Talk to us about that moment, you know it's kind of like a probably a crescendo moment where um, you are in a huge race. You won a leg of it. Describe to the guests how that happened. How'd you pull ahead and that moment right after the victory? Yeah, actually. So I came in as an underdog, so I wasn't supposed to do the tortoise twist. Actually. Um, I was a very last minute sign in for the race. Um, My teammate couldn't do it. And so they put me on the roster and I came in and it was a four stage race. So it took place over four days. And on the first day, I lost a lot of time to the top three GC leaders. I made a mistake in one of the short um, laps and lost over a minute on on three leaders. So the podium was basically set after stage one. And my coach was really disappointed. And he looked at all of us and he said, look, the race is basically over. Like, we have to kind of perform a miracle to get it back. And so then the next day, we had the individual time trial. And I came back and I I gained a minute on everyone else. So I beat the rest of the field by a minute. And so then after stage two, we were even. So then it was really tense because normally GCs, which is the overall classification, the general classification, um, they're not typically this close when you have gaps that they go out so wide and then come back together so close. And so already it created a lot of excitement around the race. And then um, on the final stage, the girl who was um, my biggest competitor, um, she's a really, really good descender. And I get a little scared on the descent sometimes because I'm still pretty new. So I, I don't love to go full gas on the descent. And so she attacked right before this really long descent and she gained a minute on me on the descent. And so I'm like, oh man, now I have to chase this back. And so um, I went as fast as I could down the descent. I felt like I was skiing down the North face at like hundred miles an hour. At <laughs> like it was, it was, it made me really uncomfortable, but um, yeah, I had one goal in mind to catch her. It was the fastest descent of my life. And then I chased back with the whole Peloton on my wheel. And then on the climb, I gained another minute on her. And so um, 
we basically were yo-yoing over the course of four days, back and forth, back and forth. And so on that final climb, um, I was with a group at the bottom and then um, I broke away and was with two girls and then one girl. And then they just slowly started dropping off my wheel and I was all alone chasing this, this solo rider out front. And I caught her right at the top of the mountain. Um, and the two of us were going into the finale. It was like the last 200 meters. Um, and I'd caught her with less than a kilometer to go. And basically, whichever one of us won was going to win the overall. And um, unfortunately, I slipped on a corner and I <laughs> fell over. It was a rainy corner and a really sharp turn. So she ended up getting the overall win. But I think that was a really pivotal moment in my career because um, it it did a lot. I mean, it was a really exciting race that had a lot of attention on it. Um, but every time I got dropped, I'd come back and I'd fight back. And the whole race is just me yo-yoing, you know, and coming back and coming back. So I think people saw that I was strong and I had a lot of fight in me. And um, I think I've developed a reputation for that since then. That's awesome. So what, what I'm curious, what do, what do your colleagues think when they learn that you haven't, you know, been training as a professional cyclist, you know, since the age of two and you are from <laughs> Alaska, do they, do they kind of freak out that you just started this thing, you know, when you're in your twenties? Yeah, especially in Europe, because a lot of these riders here have been racing for over a decade. Many of them are racing for 10, 15 years uh, professionally, not just riding their bike, but racing professionally for, for 10, 15 years. I think I'm one of the only women in the top 20 or 30 in the world that's been riding for less than five years. And so uh, racing professionally, less than professionally for less than five years. Um so I think people are really optimistic about what I can do going forward. I think um, a lot of people sometimes are confused. They're like, how did this happen? What's the story? Like, what? Do, <laughs> what's the trick? What are you not telling us? Um, I think some people, um, yeah, they just, they find the story really interesting because it's so different. You know, not many, they haven't met many people from Alaska. They haven't met many professional cyclists that started riding really late. They haven't met many professional cyclists that came from a former job or that, um, uh, that actually went to college. Like a lot of cyclists don't go to college because they come right through the ranks of the junior programs and the professional cycling. And so my whole journey was really different. Um, but I think more than anything, people are just really excited for my future and, um, as am I. So yeah, it keeps me motivated and really inspired to keep going. So what's the next race for you? Where can somebody next uh, find you racing and, and, and uh, is it going to be televised? How do they tune in? Yeah, I'll be racing in the Tour de France, which is actually a huge deal because it's the first uh, women's Tour de France that we've had in over a decade. Um, they had a women's Tour de France a long time ago, and then they canceled it um, over a decade ago. Um, and they're bringing it back and they're bringing it back for good. And so this is a really big moment for women's cycling. Um, it's on Global Cycling Network, and so you can get a subscription to watch it online. Um, I think they have a free trial as well, so if you just want to watch the tour, you can do that. Uh, so that's globalcyclingnetwork.com. Um, and there's also some other networks like Eurosport um, where you can watch it as well. Nice. So how do, what's, a, what's your big career goal? You've had some awesome success mm. this year. You're ranked number 15 and top 15 in the whole world. What's the big career goal for you? Um, I kind of two career goals. Um, I'd like to go to the Olympics, which is my, my dream as a child. Um, I guess make it a little sweeter and win a gold medal. That would be great. Um, so right now I'm aiming for 2024. 
Um, and then a very cycling specific one is to win a world championship so I can wear the rainbow jersey because whoever wins the world championship gets to wear a rainbow jersey the whole next year um, in every race. And so that's a really big deal. So, yeah, those are the two goals. That's awesome. So uh, my last question to you is this, and then you can tell folks how to kind of how they find you on the World Wide Web. Women's cycling seems to have uh, skyrocketed into the mm-hmm. stratosphere in terms of coverage. What's, you know, five years ago, didn't seem to be much coverage. Now there seems to be a lot of coverage. That seems to be pretty exciting. What what changed and kind of has made this sport popular with folks, do you think? Yeah, I think there were a lot of things. Um, you know, one of the big things is we're seeing the women's rights movement kind of happen in a lot of different sports. We saw it happen in soccer. Um, there is, you know, big thing. It's happened in tennis already. I think we're just seeing a lot more women's rights issues come to the forefront, um, not just in society, but in, especially in sports. Um, that's the first thing. I think uh, media and social media, especially during COVID, a lot more people were tuned in online and that raised a lot of awareness about um, what was lacking in women's sports. And also a lot of um, conversations online about prize money discrepancies, salary discrepancies, men make you know way more than 10 times the top woman. Um, same with the prize money and, and we put in the exact same work and do a lot of the same races. Um, and then, yeah, I just think um, there's also more, um, I think there's a bit more mixing of cultures like on teams. Um, so I, you know, I came in as an outsider from the corporate world in the US where it would be illegal to offer a different base salary for men and women, you know? And so for me coming into the sport, I was like, how is there a different minimum wage for men and women? Like, that's just absurd. Like that's illegal, you know? Um, And so I think, yeah, having more voices and different perspectives come into the industry um, because cycling is a very traditional industry. It's very male dominated. And historically there's really just been one path into the professional world. And that's, you start as a kid. And you're kind of groomed from a really young age. You go into the junior programs and then the U23 programs. So people grow up in this environment and they grow up in these social norms and they start to accept what they're taught. And I think when you have more outsiders come in uh, and as staff, as writers, then you get this like, what the heck kind of moment, which is like, what is this industry? What's going on? And they bring an outsider perspective. And so I think that's created a lot of positive change. Um, And I think it will continue to going forward. That's awesome. So how does somebody find you are you on social media? Where could they follow you? You know, we posted an article about you maybe a week ago. And as of probably end of today, it'll reached about 100,000 people. And there's lots of folks asking, where do I find her? Is she on Instagram? Is she on Facebook? Is, does she have a website? Uh, is she on Twitter? Where, where can folks find you? Yeah, um, I use mostly Instagram to post updates of my races and uh, results. And so that's at Arctic Fox. It's... Um, Arctic, like Arctic, and then uh, Falks, like my last name, F-A-U-L-K-S. And then um, I'm also on Twitter at Falkner Kristen. So either of those is probably the best way to find me. Um, or you can tune in and watch the races on Global Cycling Network. You can uh, get a subscription and watch. Awesome. Do you have any last minute uh, words or thoughts, anything we didn't cover that you'd want to talk about? Not really. I just think, you know, if, if you're really passionate about something and you really believe in yourself, um, yeah, don't don't be afraid to go do it. And it's never too late to start. And whatever that dream is, no matter how big or how small, no matter what age you are, where you are. Um, yeah, as long as you have the, the drive to go do it, I think it can be done. So, yeah, just well, believe awesome. it. We want to thank you for coming on the Must Read Alaska show. Folks that are listening, 
don't forget to follow your dreams. This is a prime example of it's never too late to follow your dreams. And uh, Kristen, we wish you nothing but success in uh, women's cycling. We hope that you win a gold medal, you make a ton of money and become number one in the world. <laughs> And I think women's cycling has been handed a gift because if you're anything like your parents, you're also wicked smart. And so I think you'll be able to help <laughs> them uh, navigate some things that otherwise not been able to navigate. So um, thanks for coming on the show. We want to thank our show sponsor, Gungerstein for Senate, for sponsoring the Must Read Alaska show. And remember, you can always download the Must Read Alaska app for free on the Android store or the iTunes store. Just type in Must Read Alaska. It will pop up right away and you could download it for free. So until next time from somewhere in Alaska, I'm John Quick signing off. And uh, we're going to have uh, tomorrow, I have Doreen Lorenz on, which would be exciting. She hosted a couple talk shows over her career here in Alaska. She's interviewed tons of folks. We're going to talk about some of her favorite interviews that she's done over the course of her career. And uh, then I have, to, I have Senator Showers, or not Senator Showers, Senator Myers, I think on Friday. So you're going to want to tune in to hear from him. Uh, until next time for Somewhere in Alaska, I'm John Quick signing off from Must Realize.